Our apologies this afternoon for the, just the lack of heat at the moment, but hopefully as the service continues it will maybe build up a little bit of hope or, or heat for everyone. So I'd just like to give everyone this afternoon a very warm welcome uh, to the Crescent Church. We have come here today to give thanks to God for the life and testimony of our dear brother and friend Herbie Duddy and to bear witness to a life lived in faithful service and dedication to both his family and this church. Herbie passed away peacefully into the presence of his Lord and Saviour on Sunday evening. For him we know it is absent from the body present with the Lord. We are assured from the scriptures that he is with Christ, which is far better. On behalf of the Crescent Church, I would like to extend our deepest sympathy to his wife, Pat, daughter Catherine and her husband, Richard, son Martin and his wife, Carol, and the grandchildren, Georgia, Sam, Patrick, Julia, Joel and Ellen, and also the wider family circle. As a church family, we share your loss and will greatly miss Herbie's presence with us here at Crescent. The family has asked me to publicly thank the staff of Ward 3B at the Ulster Hospital for the excellent care and attention given to Herbie over recent weeks. They would also like to thank the South East Family Practice, Craigie Road, for their ongoing care over many years. The dedication shown by all those involved in Herbie's care has been greatly appreciated. I will personally remember Herbie as a genuine Christian gentleman who always had a smile and a warm word for everyone. As an elder of this church, he consistently demonstrated his personal interest and concern for the members and his love for the scriptures was evident to all. Our opening hymn uh, today, as found in your order of service, is In Christ Alone. And could we please stand after the introduction? Thank you.
We're just going to uh, open our Thanksgiving service this afternoon just with prayer. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we meet together to give thanks for the life of our dear brother, Herbie Duddy. Our hearts are filled with sadness today as we mourn the death of a loved one. But we take great comfort in the knowledge that Herbie is now in the presence of his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. As the scriptures encourage us, we would remember that we sorrow not as others who have no hope. We thank you that Herbie had this great hope in you. And for him today, it is absent from the body and present with the Lord. Although we are assured that Herbie is now with the Lord, as Lord and Saviour, we are also aware that the family will miss the presence of a husband, a father, a grandfather and friend. And we pray for your help and strength for the family today and in the difficult days that will surely lie ahead. May the family all know the presence of God, the God of all comfort. And now, our Father, we thank you for the lasting legacy of your servant, Herbie. We thank you for a life well lived, love that has been shared, and fond memories that will live on. We now commit the rest of this service to you, and we pray all of these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I would now like to invite Herbie's grandson, Patrick, to read from Psalm 139. And that will be followed by a poem read to us by Herbie's granddaughter, Georgia. Thank you. This is Psalm 139, verses 7 to 18. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark for you. Even the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not, sorry. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. God, How fast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you.
Do Not Stand at My Grave and Weep by Mary Elizabeth Fry. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you wake in the morning's hush, I am the swift uplifting rush of quiet birds in circled flight. I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. Thank you very much, Patrick and Georgia. I would like now to uh, invite uh, Catherine Gardner, that's Herbie's daughter, uh, to bring a tribute on behalf of the family. Thank you. Herbert Martin Duddy was born on the 16th of May, 1939, the fourth and last son of William and Christina Duddy. Rumour has it that my grandmother wanted a girl after having three boys and so hadn't picked out any girls' names. And so he was named after the next-door neighbour. Or at least, that's how the story goes. Dad was brought up in the Tigers Bay area of North Belfast and by all accounts was a bit of a tearaway at a young age. He often told me how he and his brothers used to not always be nice, let's put it that way, to some rats and toads that they used to come across in the park near their house. He can't have been that bad, though, as he was very involved with the boys' brigade from a young age, right up until he was 18, through Jenny Mount Methodist Church. He attended Mount Collier Primary School up to the age of 14, when he left to start work as an office boy in a firm of Belfast solicitors, and then began an indentured apprenticeship with Short and Harland, working originally as a fitter, before training as a draftsman, working by day and studying by night, gaining his higher national diploma in 1961. He became a Christian at the age of 16 after attending a Jack Schuller crusade and started to attend Victoria Memorial Hall, a Brethren Assembly which met in an old music hall in the centre of Belfast and which later moved to this building in 1977 and became the Crescent Church as it is known today. Dad's faith became the cornerstone of his life and shaped everything he did since. In 1957, he met our mother and they married in August 1961, moving to a house in the newly built suburb of Dundonald. However, they only lived there for a year before they sold up and moved to Australia. Mum and Dad were part of a large number of immigrants in Australia who were known as the Ten Pound Palms, as that is how much the fare cost to get them there as part of the British and Australian government's drive to populate Australia at that time. They lived in Sydney for four years, Dad working as a jig and tool draftsman, and they were both involved in Willoughby Gospel Chapel there and developed a close network of friends. My childhood is littered with memories of many of those friends visiting us and sending Australian gifts, and Mum and Dad returned twice there over the years for extended trips. I was born in Sydney, and shortly afterwards they made the decision to return to Northern Ireland, a six-week boat journey that must have been loads of fun with a baby. 
Dad always said that one of the reasons for returning home was because he didn't like the heat. And I remember often wondering as a child what he expected when he moved to a country that was famed for its high temperatures. Back in Belfast, our parents bought a house near what is now Forest Side, but was Supermac back in the day for those of you who are old enough to remember. And Dad started work in the Sirocco Works. They became involved again in Victoria Hall, and child number two, my brother, was born in 1968, and the family was complete. Dad moved jobs in the late 70s to become an engineer in the Royal Victoria Hospital, and the rest of his working career was spent in the health service, moving to Knockbracken Healthcare Trust and then to the Ulster Hospital, from where he retired some 15 years ago at the age of 65. Dad's retirement has been spent with his six grandchildren and visiting coffee shops. Lots of coffee shops, preferably with a garden centre attached. Pottering in the garden and taking trips with mum, mostly through England, involving ending up at my brother's and spending time with his family. In recent years, more than a considerable amount of time has been spent at medical appointments as his health has declined. Dad had a triple heart bypass a number of years ago and in latter years was diagnosed with diabetes and Parkinson's disease. An ongoing battle with skin cancer led to the discovery of a melanoma and the subsequent spread of the cancer to his brain and throughout his body proved one battle that could not be won. Dad received the terminal diagnosis in July of this year and showed relatively few symptoms until just a few weeks ago. His decline from then was rapid, and he slipped away peacefully on Sunday evening. Those of you who knew my dad will know that he was a kind, gentle, and quiet man. And while in recent years he found it more difficult to communicate, we as a family and others who knew him well knew that he had a great sense of humour, which was just as well as he was the butt of quite a few of our jokes. There were many words that he just couldn't pronounce or would mix the letters around, and we took great pleasure in reminding him of his mistakes. He confused us all at one stage by talking about my brother's favourite film, ER. ER? Yes, you know, the one about the alien, extraterrestrial. You mean E.T., Dad. If I was to title this bit of my tribute, Things I Know About My Dad That You Don't, I would tell you about the things my dad loved. He loved watching wrestling on a Saturday afternoon back in the day. He loved reading the Belfast Telegraph and watching the news. Woe betide you should speak when the headlines were on. He loved to nap, although he always said he was never asleep, just resting his eyes. He was a champion napper. He loved a boiled egg, particularly if he wasn't that hungry. And the phrase, Herbie's not hungry, I'll just have a boiled egg, is repeated often in our house by my family if I'm not in the mood to cook. He loved fruit and had such a sweet tooth. Dad used to bring home brown bags full of fruit on a Friday afternoon when we were children and no fruit was exempt from being put between two slices of bread. Banana sandwiches, strawberry sandwiches, grape sandwiches, apple sandwiches, orange sandwiches, you name it. After his diabetes diagnosis, however, his eating of sweet things was massively curtailed. When he received the devastating news in July, the consultant told him to now eat whatever he wanted. So my daughter made him a pavlova with fresh cream and strawberries, and I am reliably informed that he ate the whole thing. And when at our house a few weeks ago for Sunday dinner, he didn't, match, he didn't manage much of my lovely roast chicken, but did manage to devour chocolate brownie and ice cream. Other things that my dad loved, much, much more than the news and fruit, were his family. He was devoted to our mum for over 58 years of marriage and was a wonderful father to Martin and I 
great father-in-law to Richard and Carol, and a fabulous grandfather to his six grandchildren who brought such joy to him, even if he did spend many years watching endless repeats of Little Bear and SpongeBob SquarePants. But the overriding love of my dad's life that, as I said, shaped everything he did was to be found in his faith in God. And through that love of Jesus, a lifelong love of the church and the word of God. Dad served here as an elder for over 30 years until retiring from active service only four years ago. He served faithfully and quietly, and I know he was greatly respected by the current congregation and many others who have attended this church at one time or another over the years. The final bit of this tribute I would like to title Lessons in Life I've Learned from My Dad. Stoicism, Discipline and Forgiveness. Dad was a hugely stoic man who just got on with it. His life has not always been easy, particularly in these last few years, and he bore all of his ill health with remarkable stoicism, which was an inspiration to all those who knew of his suffering. He never complained, never let him get it down. He simply got on with it. Dad was possibly the most disciplined person I have ever known when it comes to spending regular time in prayer and reading the Bible. Did I appreciate having to get up throughout my childhood at 6.30 every weekday morning for Bible reading and family prayers? No, I absolutely did not. But he modelled something out for me in his life that I tried to model out in my own. And he instilled in me a love for the Bible and the importance of devoting regular time to read it and seek after God. Shortly after my dad became a Christian, he and a small group of men started a Bible study group, which met every Friday night for over 60 years. Dad attended every week, except when living in Australia. They started with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and continued week by week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the whole Bible. Those men formed the cornerstone of our childhood, and their influence reaches far beyond what they could have thought of. And forgiveness. Few of you here today will know that my dad was kidnapped by the IRA in 1972 and his car used to plant a bomb on the day that became known as Bloody Friday when 20 bombs were exploded in Belfast killing nine people and injuring 120 more. Dad was held at gunpoint for over six hours and was only released when all the bombs had been detonated. He never talked much about that day but never let that experience cause him to become bigoted or embittered. That same inner strength enabled him to find it in his heart to forgive those who murdered his brother Norman, who was a policeman serving in Derry, when he was shot by the IRA in 1982, outside his church, in front of his sons. I remember Dad taking a long time as he wrestled with his faith in God about what had happened and refusing to come out of his room until he had forgiven the perpetrators and was at peace. I look back at that time as a pivotal moment in my life and I take much inspiration as to how my father dealt with such a horrific situation. Today, Dad is with his Heavenly Father, who he has loved and served for almost all of his life. I asked him after his diagnosis who he wanted to talk to first when he got to heaven, and he told me Moses, and then the rest of the greats. He's finally there, walking with the men he's learnt about and thought of for so long. Our hearts here are breaking with his passing, But I cannot help but feel such deep joy for him, who, to paraphrase the words of 1 Corinthians 13, once saw through a glass darkly, but who now sees Jesus face to face. 
Sunday might have been one of the worst days of our lives, but for Dad, it will have been the best. Thank you very much indeed, Catherine. We're now going to sing the second hymn on the order of service this afternoon. My song is Love Unknown. This hymn uh, was a particular favourite of Herbie's and one that he would have given out at our breaking of bread service at Crescent Church. And after we have sung this, uh, this hymn together standing, we'll ask David Bingham, who is one of our elders here at Crescent, if he would come and bring a tribute on behalf of the church. My song is Love Unknown Standing Place. Catherine, after that uh, warm and wonderful tribute, there's very little that I feel I can add, but on behalf of the elders and members of this church, I would like to bring this (coughs) tribute to Herbie. As we've heard, Herbie was a member of Victoria Hall and the Crescent more recently for more than 60 years. In his early 40s, he became an elder and served for over 30 years in that role. And I've been asked to reflect on his time with us and to pray, pay tribute to this remarkable man. In doing so, I want to acknowledge the role that Pat played in his life in the church. They were a partnership. On the pastoral side, Herbie was always aware of the needs of others. Many parents here today will testify to his interest 
and his care and concern for their children. He asked about their education, their careers, and their well-being, and I know he prayed for them. And Herbie was part of a team who regularly visited the homes of members who were unable to, to attend because of ill health. But there was a practical side to Herbie, and for many years he served and led our General Purposes Committee. His profession and career as a hospital engineer meant that he had a natural eye for old buildings. Somehow he and his right-hand man, men Joe Morrow and Cecil Duncan kept the fabric of this building together until we were able to make a major investment and take us into the 21st century. Herbie was faithful. In and out of season, he came to our services. He was a faithful attender and contributor to the weekly prayer meeting and our Sunday communion service. When Herbie prayed, you knew here was a man who knew and loved his Lord. He loved God's word, and he enjoyed speaking from the book of Hebrews on a Sunday morning at our breaking of bread. As elders, we were chatting about it on Monday night and reflecting how he loved to speak in particular from the book of Hebrews. He enjoyed those Levitical pictures that Paul painted in that book, a way of expressing God's holiness and his plan for salvation. Herbie also played a small but significant role in our music worship. Very importantly, he knew exactly when to stand up when a hymn was given out. He also knew somehow whether the person who announced the hymn told us to stand or sit. We all followed Herbie's lead. And he, he'd earlier got us an opportunity to demonstrate his musical prowess as a member of the Crescent Singers Choir. Now, I thought that that was a member of a choir that I was in, known as the Crescent Croakers, but Pat assures me that that was an earlier and much better version. Perhaps it was in his role as church secretary that Herbie may best be remembered by many of us. This was at an exacting time before computers, incredibly time-consuming, but a vital role in the church. Pat worked together with Herbie to ensure that at a time when we didn't have an office in the church, that the church correspondence, the bookings and arrangements for weddings and funerals and other events, and all the administrative tasks that are required to run an organization like this were carried out in a quiet and meticulous manner. As Secretary Herbie was tasked with making the weekly announcements at our Sunday morning services, the congregation always listened intently, not only for the information which he conveyed, but for the occasional demonstration of humour. Many will remember his reference to the annual Christmas dinner for our older members, where he stated that the minibus would be available for those not fit to drive home. Us younger ones wondered what went on at those dinners. (laughs) On another occasion, he asked uh, for prayers for the team who were leaving for Uganda. As was our habit, Valerie Duff was pushing the boundaries of the airline's baggage limit, and Herbie announced, pray for Valerie Duff, who's at the airport, overweight as usual. (laughs) Uh, Please forgive me, Valerie. Whether the humour was intentional is debatable, but I for one thought that Herbie had a twinkle in his eye at those moments. I remember once asking him for advice when I took over that role, advice about announcements. He said, before you announce someone has died, check. (laughs) And that advice, as a colleague of mine testified, saved great embarrassment 
and no small alarm on one occasion. As elders, we greatly missed Herbie's graciousness and common sense round the elders' table since his retirement several years ago. He had a great knack of bringing us back to the subject when he wandered off. And very importantly, he taught us that 10pm was a reasonable time to stop our meetings and that the decisions made late into the evening were seldom given to the best outcomes. We did, however, ignore his advice on one occasion, and after many years of saving and spending and renovating the church, we debated on whether we should give the congregation a rest and close the fund for rebuilding for a period. Herbie said, don't. We did, but he was right. And finally, as a a retired elder, Herbie continued uh, to serve. It was only four or five, five or six weeks ago where he stood at the desk in the foyer and manned the welcome desk, even though he was ill at that time. He never complained. We will miss Herbie and our fellowship, his kindness, his wisdom, his humility and caring nature. But he's now in the presence of the Lord, whom he served faithfully and tirelessly. Thank you very much indeed, uh, David. I would now like to invite uh, David Farrell. Um, David's uh, an elder of this church, and David's going to bring us the message today. Thank you. At the outset, I wish to express my deepest condolences to you, Pat, Catherine and Richard and Georgia, Sam and Joel, to Martin and Carol and Patrick, Julia and Ellen, and the wider family circle, and to all who loved Herbie Duddy as a friend and brother in Christ. It is one of the blessings of my wife and I to have literally known Herbie all our life, and there's very few could say that, but we have known Herbie and Pat all our life. He was a genuine friend, and as a fellow elder, and I followed on as church secretary, we worked together here in the Crescent to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Frequently, I would have spoken to Herbie for his opinion on some issue. It was always wise and considered. I have in my possession a little booklet given to me by Herbie in response to a question I asked. It's entitled, After Death. That little book. It answered one of the questions I've been discussing with others and with Herbie for quite a time. It was on sale for three pence or three shillings and sixpence for a dozen. That shows you how old that little booklet is. It contains his name and right throughout it his annotated notes on the subject. The last page of that little booklet finishes with these words it is not death to die to leave this weary road and midst the brotherhood and high to be at home with God it is not death to close the eye long dimmed by tears and wake in glorious repose to spend eternal years to wake, to spend eternal years. 
The psalmist in Psalm 139, which was read to us, he says this in the last line which was read, When I am awake, I am still with you. When I am awake, I am still with you. Saturday week, about ten days ago, Herbie, as a result of his illness, fell into a deep sleep. Rarely over the following days was there much response. It was obvious that at times he could hear, but he quickly drifted back to sleep. And the Thursday before he passed into the presence of his Lord, I visited him in Ward 3B and I read the words of this psalm to him, as the family had read on prior occasions. And I read the words, When I awake, I am still with you. In Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament, we read as well, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. David fell asleep. We know that those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ fall asleep when their service is done. The words from the soon-to-be-regularly narrated Christmas story resonate with me when I read the story of Zacharias in the temple and it says, when the days of his service were completed, he went home. Herbie did not go home, he did not fall asleep until his work was done. When I am awake, I am still with you. What is it to serve our own generation? We live in the midst of our generation, we are part of it, we serve it, but our citizenship is in heaven. But as we live here on earth, we should seek to serve our generation. It means to fulfill and perform the the common duties of life. Those that some people may consider to be mundane and unnecessary. But when we think that David served his generation, before he became a king, he was a shepherd boy. And Spurgeon says, in his reference to this verse, and I know Herbie loved Spurgeon, he said, do the commonplace things the ordinary things that come in your way, and you will serve your generation as David served his. We've heard from Catherine, and we've heard from David of the massive contribution Herbie made to the lives of so many in so many practical ways. A husband, father, grandfather, his contribution to the life of the church meeting here in the Crescent. And if Herbie was here, the heating would have worked. But Herbie, as we have heard, was not afraid to deal with the practical. To use the words of Spurgeon, the common things in life. Herbie Duddy served his generation. But serving our generation means more than this. It means to be ready for that occasion when it comes to serve our God. We have heard how Herbie, as a young man, came to place his trust in Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. That decision was important. It directed and it guided him all his life. But more importantly, it assured him his presence today, right now. His presence today 
with God in all eternity. When I awake, I am with you. And to use the phrase from Luke, when his service was over, he went home. But more is included in this saving or faithful serving of our generation. It is to prepare for those who come after us. David served his generation to the very end, and at the end of his life, he prepared for the next generation. When you read how he planned for the temple, he was looking to the next generation. This is real service. To begin to serve God in your youth, to keep on until old age, and then to say, I can't expect to serve much longer but I will prepare for the way for those who come after me. I can tell you, as we sat around many a night in the elders' meetings, Herbie was dedicated to preparing for the next generation. He was constantly encouraging us, look out for new elders, look out for the next generation. And through Bible study, Encouragement from which I personally benefited many, many times. And always ensuring that we recognize the importance of those who will follow us. Herbie served his generation. But after the purpose of God in his own generation, David fell asleep. What does it mean to fall asleep? Bethany was a small village that lay two miles from Jerusalem. A tragedy unfolded when a few weeks before Jesus' death, Lazarus, one of Jesus' close friends, became seriously ill and died. Jesus first heard the news. He told his disciples that Lazarus was asleep and he intended to waken him. The Lord Jesus' disciples didn't grasp this meaning, so he very plainly said to him, Lazarus is asleep. Lazarus has died. And then the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated his power over life and death when he said even though I am he said I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me even though he dies will live and to demonstrate that he stood outside that tomb and he commanded Lazarus to come forth and one who had died four days previously was raised from the dead I am the resurrection and the life. He performed other resurrections. One day he raised a young girl from the dead and he said, she's asleep. But may I return to this little book given to me by Herbie. He's underlined these words in reference to sleep. And listen to them. And you need to listen to them carefully. Because many of these words and phrases that are in this little book, you will resonate with those of us who knew Herbie and listened to him speaking from here. Here's what he underlined. The body then is a house, a tabernacle, or a temple in which the person is loved, who fears and at all times, and at times he may even be feared, and is the possessor of a conscious responsibility to a higher and spiritual authority that is our God. But he only dwells here for a season. And his departure, or as the Apostle Peter calls it, 
a departure or exodus is known as death. This is sleep. We can hear Herbie saying those words. To fall asleep is to die. But the Bible clearly teaches it is not the end. If we live our life thinking that the days that we spend, the 70 or 80 years that we spend here are all that matters, we miss so much because there is an eternity ahead. This is just the beginning. This is literally a little drop in the ocean of what lies ahead. To fall asleep is not the end. The psalmist says, when I am awake, I am still with you. The psalm describes the fact that we cannot flee from God. We started at verse 7. It's a question, where can I go to escape the presence of God? And to show the amazing nature of God's omnipresence, the, the psalmist introduces a series of questions, hypothetical questions. He suggests that even if he could do the following things, which he admits he can't, God would still be there. He says, what if I could go to the furthest corner of the physical universe? Or if man could explore the deepest recesses of the spiritual world? Verse 8, he says, God is still there. He says, what if I could travel at the speed of light to the remotest region of the globe? He says in verses 9 and 10, God would still be there. What if a person could be instantly shrouded in absolute darkness? God would see him as if it was broad daylight. God would still be there. And one of the most powerful displays of God's omnipotence happens in secret. David contemplates his own creation and development as a preborn child. He acknowledges that God formed him. He reflects how his maker knitted him. He talks about how God embroidered him like a ornate rug how the creator was there but this section of this psalm concludes with the words when I am awake I am still with you the psalmist is referring to the fact that should he ever fall asleep uh, possibly while counting God's blessings when he awakes physically awakes he is still present and the psalm has already, psalmist already has alluded to it in previous psalms when he says, I am continually with you. I am your right hand. Pat, Catherine, Martin, the family circum, I want to speak to you personally. Can I assure you that this time, we know these are dark and difficult days. We know that death is painful. We know that saying farewell is difficult. But you can be assured, when you wake in the middle of the night and your mind races ahead of you and grief overtakes you, you can be sure that when you awake, I am still with you. The Almighty God is with you. The God that has been described in these words of the psalm, the omniscient, the omnipotent, powerful God, says, when you wake, I'm with you. But there's another 
slight aspect to this, Sam. It could be fact that David is using the phrase poetically. When he says, when I awake, I am still with you, he may be referring to God's presence even after death. He may be referring to resurrection. I believe that David, while he is referring to the physical awakening and God being with him, he is looking beyond into eternity. He said, when I waken, I am with you. I first heard this story from the late Derek Bingham. And each and every one of you will be able to reflect on it. You have fallen asleep in your bed. You're a child. You have a roaring high temperature and you're ill. You have a childhood illness. Your parents retire to their bedroom in another room. But in the middle of the night, your father comes into the room and he checks you and he sees you're still disturbed and and not well. And he lifts you out of that little bed from which you fell asleep. And he carries you into his room and lays you beside your mother. And the cult is pulled around you and she comforts you. And you sleep. Father, as fathers do, retire to that small child bed and spend an uncomfortable night. But you, you fell asleep in your little bed and you woke beside your mother. And that is the picture. When I fall asleep, I will wake with you. This is the absolute hope, the absolute assurance that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ possess. That momentous day, when as a young man, Herbie Duddy trusted Christ as his Savior, his eternal destiny was assured. God says, When I awake, I am still with you. And that little poem in the back of the book, let me remind you of it. It is not death to die, to leave this weary road, in midst of brotherhood and high, to be at home with God. It is not death to close the eye long dimmed by tears, and wake, and wake, in glorious repose, to spend eternal years. Jesus, thou Prince of Life, Thy chosen cannot die. Like thee they conquer in the strife to reign with thee on high. Thank you very much, uh, David. Uh, Just before we uh, sing our final hymn on the order of service, I would like to take this uh, opportunity on behalf of the family to thank you for coming today and to invite you all to stay for refreshments which will be served in the cafe and the minor hall uh, behind us here. After the singing of this hymn, uh, I would ask you to remain standing for the benediction which will be given by David. Let us now stand together to sing, Thine be the glory.
Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glory without fault and with unspeakable joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before time was, now, and in all ages to come. Amen.